All right. Hello, Sharon. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's very nice to be here. Thank you. So I, I'm excited to get into the, the philosophical and metaphysical underpinnings of your work and of your, um, your book and your teachings um, and your ideas. But before that, for the people who haven't had a chance to discover your work yet, could you give a little bit of a rundown of your educational and professional background prior to and including the shamanic teaching? Okay, so one, one, one could probably argue I've been a professional student. Um, <laughs> I went to graduate school in physiology, and then I went to teach at Emory University in Atlanta. And then uh, as a research scientist, and then I went to Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine for medical school. And after residency, I moved to a rural town in Pennsylvania. We're talking very rural, a county of about 13,000. And I was the first female doc. And um, that sort of began what I would say would be the real journey of my healing, uh, my understanding of healing. And with that, we can talk about this, this more, this philosophical and spiritual change. I started studying shamanism with the Healing the Light Body curriculum in the Four Winds Society, Dr. Alberto Violdo's program. And from that, I just started exploring more and more of the esoteric and realizing what I always sort of got pulled in by is how important it is for us to bring back the mystical and to merge the mystical and the scientific that we're losing we're losing such a big part of what's available to us as humans so that's kind of my journey now and that's what i why i wrote my book hmm. is because i believe the average ordinary person who struggles with health issues needs to know they have power and you can get that power through things that are outside of mainstream medicine. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're the, obviously the thesis in your book is important uh, at any time, but it seemed to me like particularly important now when such a chaotic time and their institutions are falling. We, we re it's an uncertain future. We're in a shaky time. And the idea that people can take empowerment and self-empowerment over their own healing and their own health, I think, is uh, it's something that's going to resonate with people a lot right now. And I think for me, the biggest, the biggest bonus I got from studying shamanic work is to know that there is there are forces. There's nature that you can actually see and touch, but there are unseen, intangible forces that are operating at all times that we can align ourselves with, that the ancient medicine and med medicine men and women did align themselves with. And when you do that, you have access to a fountain of strength and power and wisdom. And we need that. And I'll digress a minute here because this isn't automatically clear in just talking about healing yourself from a health challenge. The ancient medicine and men, men and women and the indigenous tribes 
would dream, and I mean that literally and, and uh, figuratively, dream the future of humanity. And they did that in concert with the forces of nature, the galaxy, the stars, the planets. And that ability to chart ourselves in a way that's interdependent, I think is the downfall of our current species, our society, and that we have to get that back. We have to recognize our interdependence and get it back. And so if you recognize that just for yourself in your own microcosm of worrying about a particular health issue and become interdependent with the forces around you, that's one step towards the bigger goal, I think, of humanity getting its act together. Hmm. You, uh, what, what do you exactly do you think is the goal? If we were to fulfill the goal, what would the, the world look like, do you think? The recognition that we're interdependent so that every one of our actions promotes, and I learned this expression from Stefan Schwartz, who's brilliant, by the way, if you haven't read his stuff, he's a, re a researcher on remote viewing. But to recognize that if we promote well-being, well-being in all our decisions, our decisions in what kind of fossil fuels we're going to use, our decisions on whether or not we're going to explore the Arctic, our decisions and how much trash we put out into the ocean, though that will change our future, the planet and humanity. Hmm. Um, so that interdependence, that recognition that we're not separate. And when you bring that idea, am I blabbing too much? No, no, no. Okay. This, is, this is what we're here for. This is great okay. stuff. All right. I thought maybe I was on a roll. No, no. Um, well, you are. When you, a good roll. A good roll. So. When you bring that back to an individual in their daily life, when you see that you're interdependent with the forces of nature, with the rhythms of the planets, with the energy of the earth, and you start to connect again, you actually get filled up, and I know this from personal experience, you get filled up with a rejuvenation of life force and, and purpose and belief in yourself and knowing you have allies you can turn to. Mm. Um, and then you're not a victim of your illness. Then you're not helpless um, or even, I'll say this, even though I'm a doctor, you're not stuck having to settle for taking prescriptions that might cost you several thousand dollars a month. You're able to find ways outside of that, ways beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believe in. So that's what my book is, a way to help you move from being a victim to being empowered and calling on those resources. I can actually, to some extent, I can actually personally vouch for that because I was, even though I exercise every day and I'm a healthy person, I was starting to experience some health ailments that I won't go into. And then I left the city, came to the country and started, I started gardening and started planting trees and stuff. And I'm, I feel great now. <laughs> it's, it's, I didn't consciously do that for that. Right, purpose, right. I just find that I suddenly mm -hmm. feel great. So. The 
there literally is a beneficial connection of our energy body, and that's what I learned about in shamanism school, our energy body and the earth. And you can, it's sort of like take out all the short circuits of your electric, of your electric field. Hmm. The earth is um, a way that you can dissipate that. And then you can, you actually end up getting in rhythm. I mean, how many millions of years have trees been here? Um, you get in rhythm with some of these um, ancient, ancient beings. And I do believe plants are sentient to a degree. And then you see how their rhythm and it just infuses you and you can't help but be better, hmm. I think. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, what I love in, in your book specifically, because, you know, shamanic ideas, I've, I've actually talked to a shamanic practitioner mm -hmm. in the past. The interview was great. But, um, but it's, it's often frequently dealt with in a more generalized sense of these, like, general um, primal energies, elemental powers or whatever. But your book, you, you take this knowledge and you apply it to specific um, like medical areas of a person's body, which I've never seen anyone do before. I, I thought that was really, really fascinating. And um, is that is that your own work? Do, mm -hmm. Have you did you learn that, or is that your you, your current mission is combining these things into a more specified um, approach? So, um, if we're talking about the different medicine wheels, the directions and the elements uh, and perspectives have been used um, in many teachings, many spiritual teachers, but pulling those in and putting them in the way a doctor might view you is my thought process. It's my creation. Hmm. And blending the mystical and the scientific is, um, was my goal from the beginning because I found, for me personally, such enlivening from learning shamanic. And I think it was just, it was a door to open me to the, to the esoteric and the metaphysical of so many other things. But that has given my life such um, a bigger boost. And when you, you can look at it and apply it to what doctors do every day. And I'll be the first one to say doctors need to wake up hmm. um, because we're, we're really kind of getting in tunnel vision. Um, and believe me, I love science. I love the way certain medicines are designed from their biochemistry to fix a problem, but it's not all, you know, and I talk about this in my book, it's the difference between being healed and being cured. Hmm. You know, you, mainstream medicine, well, unless you get a stem cell transplant for a blood cancer, you may not get cured. But you, you know, as you know, when you go out and you garden and you plant trees, you can feel healed. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a big, I think that's a philosophical difference that's important. Yeah, you talk, it was actually one of the, the notes that I put together was you, um, mm -hmm. you talk about healing being uh, experiential, which I thought was 
the way that you explained it was a very interesting idea. Could could you expand it on that a little bit? I don't know exactly what part you're um, referring. Yeah, here, I can it. Okay. I, yeah. I, please. I please. Yeah. Good. It's Good. on. Uh, it's on page thirty-one. Um, I have come to see healing as experiential. You do not have to change anything in your physical body to have an experience of healing. The walk towards healing involves either a sense of reinterpreting what you are experiencing in the literal world or a shift in your energy field brought about by rituals and practices I teach in this book. The shift in your energy field then informs your experience. So how we feel, and this goes to that bigger uh, metaphysical idea that actually is becoming more scientific, that our thoughts create our reality. And one of the really beautifully written books, uh, Mind into Matter by Dawson Church, he outlines all the research that shows that your thoughts actually do this. Um, but when you actually change how you think about something, mm -hmm. your experience changes and your thoughts, when they actually do create, and you remember Bruce Lipton's biology of belief, your thoughts really do, and Candace Pert, uh, the molecules of emotion, your thoughts really do make biochemical changes in your body. And I give the example in my book of two women. I think I named them Jane and Jill. And they're actually uh, composites of women that I have treated, both with breast cancer, one who completely collapses into the panic, the fear, the drama, oh my God, I have cancer, crying all the time, completely devastated and victimized. Mm -hmm. And the other one who said, okay, what do I need to do to get this taken care of? And how do I now fill my life with things that promote my well-being? And when you think about the way you spend your day and the energy, and this is where perspective comes in, if you sit around crying all the time, even if I can't prove it to you, you know that your cells are not going to respond to that, that that is not a good healing environment. Mm. That is not life force coursing through your blood. But if you're saying, all right, I've got this. Let me go take a walk. Let me see that I'm part of something bigger. You're filled with the emotion of hope, the emotion of courage, the emotion of vision. And you start to bring life force into your system. And I can't prove to you who's going to make it longer in life of these two women because they're still battling it out, but I know which one's happier. Hmm. And I know which one is enjoying life and not rolling on the floor, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Um, so that, in that sense, I do believe healing is experiential. Hmm. And when you hold the right thoughts – and the energy of your consciousness will infuse your physical form. Mm. And that's, that's what, well, that's one thing that Alberto taught me, um, that you really do bring it from your energy body, which includes your thoughts, into your physical form. Mm. So I, I think how you think makes a difference. 
and science is starting to actually prove things uh, that, and again, that book by Dawson Church, Mind Into Matter, is really good at outlining all the studies. Hmm. Uh, so, in Alberta, the the four wind is four wind, correct? Four winds. Four wind school. Um, the the tradition is the Quero Indian tradition. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Down in Peru. Yes. Yeah. Is that still um, is is that still like their primary form of medicine among among their people, the shamanic medicine? Yes, but they have been westernized, so they do go to doctors and clinics. But okay. But you know that was my introduction. And Alberto's school holds really true to what the Caro taught and that their cosmology. But I think that for me, that was an opening to a whole lot more. Hmm. But I think for me, shamanism, when I think about it, doesn't matter what indigenous people you emulate. It's that connection with the world of spirit and the world of the unseen helpers. And um, I think that's what, sorry, I just had to silence my phone. Uh -huh. I think that world of unseen helpers is where when you tap into that, you know that you have power. You know that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And that's uplifting and that's invigorating, I think. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. The, um, what you just said about doesn't matter the tradition, what matters is the underlying actual mechanics of the universe. Something I thought was interesting that struck me was you discussed the, uh, the Sami and the Hucha energies. Is that, I don't know if my pronunciation is correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was really struck. Are you familiar at all with Rudolf Steiner? Um, briefly, yes. He, he had this idea that the whole universe that, well, human beings, which are a representation of the universe, um, there's the Aramonic and the Luciferic energies. Obviously, Luciferic has unfortunate connotations today because of how a lot of people feel, but that's not how he meant it. He didn't mean it that way. But um, it mirrors so much what you, what you talk about these two energies that it, it just really struck me because I love finding things where People come at it through a different lens, but you find the same truth. You might give it a different name, but it's the thing underneath that's important, right? It's, it's just like right. every language has a different word for car, but that doesn't mean that the car isn't still a car, right? Right. So um, I, I know, that really struck me. I thought it was fascinating. It's kind of like Joseph Campbell when he found how myths, the oh. underpinnings of myths are the same in so many different traditions. Right. You know, many rivers, one ocean, you know? Yeah, it's so funny you, you mentioned that because I was also going to ask, um, I love what you say about the Chicana. I believe that's uh -huh. how. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually made me think of Conrad in The Hero's Journey because the way you explain it, and um, I'm going to edit this in so people can see what the Chicana is. Okay. Actually, I'll ask you to explain it in a minute. Why don't you do that? And then I want to say how it made me think of Joseph Conrad's The Hero's Journey. Okay. So the Chicana is a, uh, a symbol from the Andes, and it was from their cosmology representing the Southern Cross, but it's a stair step um, with, a, with an open circle in the middle that some say is a portal. 
Um, and when I saw that, to me, well, moved me very deeply because I saw the each step up. This is what we do in our own work, in our own personal work. We struggle against something and we get smarter and then we integrate it and we're on a plateau. And then we take the next learning and we go up and we integrate it on a plateau. And I've always seen the way the Native Americans have the medicine wheel. I've always seen us moving spiral. You're, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. But when we get back to the place we started, we're actually a level up. Hmm. So we're going and then we're better and then we're going and then we're better. So we're constantly moving and the Chicana to me represented that the way we go through processes, the way we learn, the way we stretch and grow. And it's such a beautiful symbol. Mm. They do it in, in different colors. Um, and it does give you the four cardinal directions. And it, sometimes the colors they use might be reminiscent of Native American colors, which change, you know, when you do the medicine wheel, the Blackfoot might call the south direction white and the Navajo would call it yellow. And I'm just making that up. That's, those aren't accurate. But it doesn't matter. To me, it's that symbolic symbol and the climbing to learn and then integrating and then climbing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because that even allies with like the Western esoteric tradition, um, the, the directional, what, what you talk about with the, the uh, Peruvian traditions, the shamanic traditions, mm -hmm. it's amazing how much it lines up even to Western esoteric ideas about the, the cardinal directions and the uh, associated elements and all right. that. But with the, with the Chicana, um, it, it occurred to me that Joseph Conrad and the hero's journey, it's all about... You, you go on a journey, you have to overcome some kind of obstacle, but then you always return home. You go back to where you started, but you're a new person. And so it's not really home anymore, but it's this like circular process. And that's basically the Chicana. Like that's what it is. It's a continual hero's journey. Or that's how I, I yep. thought. Yep. Series of hero's journeys spiraling outward like a Cartesian plane. You got the X and the Y and you have the Z coming out. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just found that really, really fascinating. It's, it was funny that you, you actually brought up Joseph Conrad. So it's a little synchronicity there. Uh-huh. And the, the thing I think is we are moved by symbols. I mean, they've been in the human psyche for so long, like um, the Celtic cross, like... I'm just trying to think of some other symbols, but that's just, it engages you at a more primal level. And I think that's what Joseph uh, Campbell's myths and all that is. He pointed out the similarities of symbols. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it does, it does, for me, it caught me and um, grabbed me and made me think. And anyway. I, I had the same reading your books the first time I ever saw the Chicana and that section, it's only two or three pages long, but I, I read it multiple times, just laying there on my couch, just really thinking about, it. I don't know why it really struck me as profound. I, mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, I want to share that with like everybody. I think it's one of the most interesting things in your book, but um, also interesting and returning to something that we briefly touched on was the Sami and the Hucha. I love how you, uh, you say that, um, one might be more appropriate for a psychiatric 
problems and another might be more appropriate for the physical healing. Um, could you go into that a little bit? As I was taught, the Caro Indian see, when they see your energy body, when the ancient healers saw the energy body, there is high refined energy. What we might say in today's um, metaphysical studies, we might say high vibrating. And then there's denser, heavier energies that's called hucha. And we might say um, that that's lower vibrating. But I also have come to see, and I don't know if I talked about, I don't think I talked about this in the book. We are humans. So we have to walk in the world of density, in the world of form. So we can't be Sammy, high vibrating energy all the time. We actually have to be in physical form and physical structure doesn't, and you can just think about sound waves traveling through it, doesn't vibrate very high. It's dense. So there's time and place for each of those. But if you're a balanced, the way I see it as a physician, if you're a balanced human being, if you're skittish, off in la-la land, in, in your head, off in your thoughts, thoughts that we might say in today's metaphysical terms that you're not grounded, that you're all spazzing out up here. You might have tons of Sammy. And a lot of us get a lot of spiritual insights. But the trick is, can you bring them into form? Can you actually create from it? Can you manifest in today's 3D world. And so somebody who is totally grounded with no inspiration, um, now if you're caught up in a lot of human, say childhood trauma, sexual trauma, physical abuse, you might have a lot of dense, heavy energy that needs to be cleared out. Um, so a balance of the two is good. And we, don't, we can't be humans manifesting and creating on the worldly plane without bringing that high vibrating spiritual thought into form. So for me, it's a, a beautiful balance. Yeah, that is fascinating. I, I, don't, I don't want to derail this, but I have to touch back on the Steiner. I just have to share this with you while okay, I get it. Good, please. Because, so his idea of Aramon and Lucifer were that they were these two energies described basically exactly like you just said. Aramon is this very dense, highly intellectual um, kind of um, earthbound force. And then the Luciferic energy is the inspirational mm -hmm. energy, right? So it's kind of, you could think of it as like lightness and um, weight. Um, and the middle way to Steiner, who was basically an esoteric Christian, was really what his worldview was was that the way of christ is the middle way where you taking you have a balance between the aramonic and the luciferic energies it's exactly what you just said just with different words for which is amazing to me and he so he said that the the, the way of the the way of christ i don't think he used the term the way of christ but um was finding the middle way between these two energies and he specifically talked about if you meet somebody who has too much luciferic energy they're going to be flighty um uh I can't think of the word for it, but um, you won't be able to trust them for anything. The, the heads will be in the clouds, right? The kinds of people that are all inspiration, but can't actually get anything done. 
And if you're too much Aramon, you become too dense, too serious, you, you know, uh, real like emotion. And uh, anyway, so it aligns perfectly with what you just said. They're just different words for it, which it's amazing. Right. And I'm not, I have to, I'll say right up front, I didn't invent this. So um, I am not taking credit for, or, right. um, I'm more, what I'm good at, Jeff, um, I'm a good translator. So I'm good, especially in medicine, of taking all of those medical mumble jumbos that people say, what'd you just say, doc? You better tell me in real words and making it available to the average person. So um, again, many of these things are my teaching about it, not my own creation. Right, right. Under understood, understood. And um, yeah, and you're you can see that. Like um, just talking to you right now, you're just so humble. You're just a, a person talking. Like nobody would. It's a Johns Hopkins graduate right here. But you're just you're humble <laughs> talking. And uh, you know, I mean, um, that is something that I really respected. And I'm not a big person. I'm I don't really like the whole credential game. I think it's kind of like dehumanizing. But but. It would be uh, it'd be a lie to say that it's not extra impressive that somebody with your credentials um, chose to risk all the the prestige, all of the things that come with being a mainstream Western doctor, and you're risking that to to speak for what you believe in. Which, like, let's face it, could be received poorly by some people. And so I so I'll tell you a story about that. Okay. So. I think it was probably 2005 when I started getting into reading Alberto's book. Maybe it was 2007, but, um, and I started feeling all this and knowing there was this big world out there to, to start to explore. And it went so contrary to my medical teaching of, you you know, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, you know, Approaching disease from the numbers, approaching it from, you know, you've got to give them this many medicines. That's the standard of care. Otherwise, you'll get sued. It took a lot of courage. And thank you for noticing that because it was a really hard time for me to start talking to my patients about a soul, about their, is this really the journey of your soul? And I would say, I, I've learned now to say, what I'm going to say to you is not science. It's my personal spiritual belief. However, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. A woman came in um, wanting me to do a specific test that's a very, it's good in certain situations. It's a marker of inflammation but it doesn't always mean something and it can be elevated numbers in multiple conditions. But she insisted that I test her for it. And I said, but if we get a positive, it doesn't mean anything. She was absolutely dead set on that number. And I realized that her father had just died of a blood clot. And it, during the blood clot, the way they found it is those not, that number, it's called a D-dimer, was elevated. She wanted to be tested. I said, but it goes up in inflammation. It goes up in infection. It goes up in clots. It goes up in cancer. We don't know if it goes up what it's about. And it's going to make you crazy. I don't think you should do it. 
She insisted. Needless to say, it wasn't 100% normal. Now, it wasn't sky high that you would find in cancer or a blood clot. Well, that set her down a road of multiple specialist visits, multiple other testings. And I thought to myself, how has this made you happier or better in your life? And one day I thought, okay, I'm just going to step outside of my medical box here. And I said to her, I said, are you aware that you asked me for this right after your father died, mm. having had a blood clot? Are you aware of the connection? Oh, no. She said, oh, no, absolutely not. This had nothing to do. But I could feel that the energy of her father was still deeply connected to her, not necessarily in a good way. It had her in anxiety about illness. It had her in that I'm on the brink of death. And I think all of that energy from his, the end of his life and his passing had not left her. Hmm. But she, she didn't want to hear it. Um, but someone else might be more open and I'll say, okay, Tell me the truth. And I've said this to clients, to patients. I've said, do you feel that your mother has really passed on? Are they still here with you? And they'll start crying. They'll say, no, she's still here. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, I feel it too. I don't think you've let her go. No, I haven't. I can't. Oh, you know. Well, I think you can. And I think when you're ready, if you do, you're going to be be able to feel her in a different way and be happier. So then I will be brave enough to say, let me teach you a fire ceremony to release her. Let me teach you how to clear your energy body. Mm -hmm. um, some people can hear it. This other woman, she just wanted to keep being tested and tested and tested. I don't think it made her any feel any better. It didn't answer anything. It never gave her a definite diagnosis, you have an elevated D-dimer. Hmm. But it did take, so coming back around, we went around the spiral, we're back to the beginning. <laughs> um, it does take courage to talk to people a different way. Hmm. And I say, this is not medicine. Right. This has nothing to do with medicine. This is my spiritual, because I don't want them to think that I'm telling them something that is, you know, in medical books, because it's not. I think that story you just told, is, it's, it's beautiful, because we live in this time where so many people are secretly hiding these, like, spiritual thoughts. And we live in this time where, you know, it's a, it's a materialistic time, scientific materialism in that sense. And uh, people, nobody wants to talk about it. It's, it's, uh, that's really beautiful that she got that validation from somebody mm -hmm. who I'm sure she holds in very high esteem. And um, yeah, that's just a great story. But um, so, so oh, did, you, did you want to say something? Well, I was going to say, what I learned when I had the courage to speak up, people get it. People feel it. When you say, and I think I tell this in some way in my book, it happens so often, I'm sure I put an amalgam in there. You're burdened down. You are carrying the weight of your family. Is it any wonder you have back pain? Hmm. You 
well, yes, I'm carrying it. I'm, I, and, I, who, and I said, who told you you have to carry it? Well, all my life, I've been the one who's been the blah, blah, blah. They get it. When you say you haven't really let go of your mother yet. No, I haven't. Are you ready to? Almost not quite. Okay. Or I remember, I remember, and I think I told this, um, it was such a beautiful story. Um, I just knew, and that's the other thing, shamanic, studying shamanism makes you study the unseen world. So it really, really makes you start to play with practice and believe in your own intuition. Mm. And that's a phenomenal thing because we are emotionally and intuitively uh, deficient as humans, I think. We have it, but we have we don't, all this technology, we don't use it. Um, but I remember saying to this older man, um, you know, do you ever feel your wife since she passed? Do you ever feel her? And I said, do you ever notice? So, yeah, he walks past the closet and he smells violets, which was her favorite smell. You know, they, people get it. They know this. They know. And you say it's not medicine. I'm not talking medicine. I'm talking spirituality or metaphysics or philosophy. Or, they like it. Mm. They like being, they like that part of themselves being included and they like knowing that they're heard and they're listened to, not just your blood pressure is bad, your sugar is bad. That's what we do as doctors. Everything's bad. And we got to make you, we got to, oh, we'll give you this medicine so you can maybe not be bad anymore. Then mm. I, I hate that. Um, but what about, you know, look at how you let that burden go. Isn't your back pain better? Well, you know, it really is. Okay. Mm. So that that's a fun, that makes medicine fun, hmm. makes it feel more human. That's cool. Yeah, that's actually a big reason why I started this channel is I, I think just discussing these things. And I've seen, I think it was Deepak Chopra pointed at some study mm -hmm. where just, um, just contemplating, he was referencing a study, not one that he did, but just contemplating like a divinity, just that act has been shown to have beneficial um consequences on your on your health so um I, I see i think life is just better when you when you talk about this stuff when you open your mind and you um are willing to explore these things and i think another way to say contemplating that divinity another way that i might say it as it works for me is recognizing my interdependence with all that is and then when you feel a part of this big wave of amazing power and beauty you're like, cool. You know, I like this. I want more. Right. It makes you excited to be alive. And then you get your life force flowing instead of being, you know, every day is a chore. So. Right. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, that's why I found your book very inspirational, uh, personally. Um, so, well, I talked to Wendy Coulter, who is a medical intuitive, and we don't need to go into the specifics of that. But so she is talking about how her her challenge in getting the mainstream medical community to take the medical intuitive thing seriously is that, and understandably, right, this this it can be defended. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you want studies that are backed by some kind of empirical mm-hmm. research, something that can be shown in the scientific method. But of course, these things are, are freaking hard to, to do that, right. especially when you can't get funding to do a, a proper uh, study, right? Because nobody's given money for this kind of stuff. But have you thought about how a possible way you could go about like applying the scientific method to showing the um, effectiveness of some of these methods? Well, I personally have enough tell you a couple reasons why. First of all, people like Larry Dossey um, and other people he does studies with are, are much better at it than I am. And truthfully, I know how I feel and I know what I believe in. I'm bored at the, trying to prove it. <laughs> and I, I don't mean to be... I love that. I love that answer. I don't know. So one <laughs> thing, and Wendy, Wendy, you know I have a radio show called Maximum Medicine. Yes. But anyway, um, once a month, Wendy's going to be my guest in Oh, July. really? Yeah. But um, cool. one of the things I remember in medical school, and this was a study, that 85% of the time before they ever looked at the chart of the patient, when a doctor walked in the room of a hospital room, they would know if that person is going to do well or not. Mm. Now, I, nowadays, we have shamanic words to say, I can sense their energy body, it's depleted, it doesn't have vitality, or there's no life force flowing, or, you know, so, but they did, that was, and I went to medical school a long time ago, um, that if they had a study back then, you know, you know, you know, when you, when you see somebody, you know, when you look at them, because there's so many data points our brain takes that we might not be consciously aware of that just, you know, when you ask somebody, you can ask somebody, and we do this in shamanic training, how do you feel when you look at this person? Well, I feel down, or I feel sad, or I feel, you feel a person's energy field. And by the end of the group, and we did this as students, by the end of the group of the people observing the guinea pig standing up there and talking about it. At the end, that person had more vitality, less sadness, less. We, that act of observing and commenting actually, as Deepak says, you connect to the divine, actually brought about better changes. Hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so with the um so with your book I think the the interesting thing is that you are not just teaching these methods in a uh purely intellectual sense like it's an actual guidebook and it's I'm saying this largely for the benefit of the the viewers um this is an actual manual like a manual for um Sharon's system we're not, it's not your system, but you've taken from the ancient teachings right. and applied to put your own, your own thoughts into it. Um, but it's an actual manual for self-healing, which I, I find that fascinating and uh, just so empowering. Like, like you said, uh, for people to be able to walk through the world thinking, you know, I don't have to just be a, um, lost to these winds, these winds of change that right. I have some power over myself. Right. And, um, and so if you, if I were, if you were to try to tell somebody who is very skeptical of this, mm-hmm. um, right, is it's, it's saying, well, or this not, if they're too skeptical, there's no point in talking to them. They're on the fence. We'll say they're on the fence. Okay. And uh, they're like, well, I don't know. It sounds, it sounds a little, a little kooky. 
Uh, what would you say to that person? I would probably say a few things like this. Every time I have done a shamanic energy session on a person, they have left feeling good. That is an efficacy rate way bigger than any prescription I could give you. Secondly, I'll make you a deal. I'll do a session. If you don't feel better, you don't pay me. But if you feel better, you pay me for the session. I'm going to be paid. I know that. Mm. When the person experiences you, and that's what the Alberto's uh, teachings do, extracting heavy energies that are condensed in one spot, um, and Sue Mortar, uh, her chiropractic energetic thing does this as well, get the life force flowing in that. Extract that, clear the, their energy field. They feel it, and they feel better, and that is longer lasting than any prescription I can give anybody. Mm. And it's free, other than you pay the, the, you pay the technician, the shamanic pr practitioner, but you're not, you're not, you know, usually three sessions and your issue is done. Mm. I mean, it's, it's that miraculous. So I would say if you're on the fence, hey, I'll tell you what, you come do a session with me. And then, you know, if you truly don't feel better, don't pay me. Hmm. But anyway, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten a little bit away from individual sessions because I'm much more interested in teaching. Hmm. I, I love to light a person up with this information. I love to watch them take it in and start to grow. And the world needs us expanded, doesn't it? Yes. Do you do um, like, like in-person classes? Not, not since COVID, but I do oh. online. I do online stuff. But okay. right now with launching my book, that's sort of all that takes up all my energy because I'm still working. So. Oh, right. Oh, you're still working as a doctor while, while you're getting this going. That's, that's pretty impressive. That's a good work ethic right there. <laughs> but um, what? let me see. Okay, intention. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of intention as, as a, a tool for life? Okay. It goes back to your thoughts creating your reality and what we now are starting to see that the that consciousness is a field of information it's a universal we don't know what form it takes but when you engage your consciousness towards a target that is a powerful it just sets your whole body in motion towards that outcome and I see intention as an arrow. You make it with your thoughts. You make it as sharp, as defined, as, um, you know, it's like missile guided. And when it's locked on the target, that's how you achieve the best outcome. If you're wishy-washy, and an intention has to be laser focused 
if you're wishy-washy, well, I, I really want to be better. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. I guess I just really kind of want, and you can't say it, and you can't feel it, and you can't think it. That's not going to get you anywhere. But as soon as you say, I want my pain to be gone, and you set your intention to it, your chance of hitting that target is far greater than if you're all mushy and wishy-washy. Intention is your whole being aligned with the wish. Your thoughts, your heart, everything about you aligned. It is as if you see yourself taking your entire energy body, and most of the medicine men and women saw it as an egg, egg shape, as if you've got it all locked down in a single laser focus. Hmm. That is a powerful way to move through the world. Hmm. And the human life bogs us down. There's so much stuff you have to deal with that we can't always hold our intention. That's why, thank you, Deepak, contemplating the divine, sitting in meditation, being quiet, being in nature, rejuvenates us because otherwise we're busy dodging alligators in the bayou. (laughs) I mean, that's the way life feels to me. I mean, when I go to work every day and people are struggling and physically, Mm -hmm. financially, emotionally, it's literally like, you know, I just see myself paddling my, my little canoe through the Okefenokee watching for the alligators. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the Okefenokee. I live about 20 minutes from it. But, um, Do you have alligators? Uh, I think there's some around here, um, but up in the... But not like Florida when you step outside of your condo and walk your dog along. Oh, no, no. Not, the, yeah, not like alligator South- jumps out and grabs... Oh, my. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's pretty wild down down when you get further south. But um, all right, we're coming up to an hour. So the last question I will ask is about your book. Your book is out. Um, are you, yep. do you have any other work that you would like to um, share? Any other projects that you would like to share? I will be including all of the links to your sites and all of that in the description okay. below the video. But um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that you have in the works? I am getting really turned on by consciousness and non-local healing and what it's composed of. And I'm a beginner at really understanding it. I feel it when I do shamanic work because you can do that remotely, but I'm really exploring that. And that's what I'm going to try to steer my radio show to, um, which is Maximum Medicine. It's the first Wednesday of each month on the Transformation uh, Talk Network. I'm really steering towards that because that is, I think, the new wave. I think medicine is going to see that when we tap into that unified field, what Edgar Cayce called the Akashic field, Irvin Laszlo called the Akashic field, we're going to see the power in that and non-local remote healing and things that are just what we think is a miracle or can't possibly happen. So I'm excited about that. 
Yeah, I'll definitely be tuning in. Thank you for sharing that. So, um, all right, Sharon, thank you so much for this time. Thank you.